right. Well, uh, again, my name is Dustin Butler, and one of the great privileges I have is uh, serving as a part-time staff member here at Living Hope. And uh, man, I love every time uh, I just get to be with y'all. It feels like being with family. So uh, real privilege and honor to be with you here today. Um, are there any college graduates that are in the room? And if you are, would you please stand? Don't, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, in, in a moment, you guys can go ahead and be seated. In a moment, we will uh, pray for you. Um, as Jonathan uh, may have mentioned, Pastor Holt is on vacation. And so uh, visiting his two kids and all three of his grandchildren, but he'll be back next week. Um, I did want to mention something real quickly about the Whole Heart Advance, uh, and that is this. Uh, it was incredible. How many men went to the Whole Heart Advance in here? Yeah. And by uh, a little hoot and holler, did you love it? Woo-hoo! Yeah? Yeah. See? So what was incredible to me, if I could just say two quick things, is that one, we heard testimony after testimony about men being delivered from things that had been holding them in bondage for years, and just incredible freedom. It was amazing. And I think the other thing that was very powerful to me was hearing man after man talk about how they wanted to break out of passivity and wanted to initiate with the world around them with intentionality and, and very much living life in a way that matters for eternity. And that was incredible. Guys talking about how they want to use every aspect of their life to make eternal impact. So it was amazing, and I know the guys in the room here that went would say along with me that when we do it next time, we would love to have you. And, and let me just tell you in advance that the enemy will work and, and try to give every reason in the book to not go. And I would just encourage you to make the sacrifice and go. It'll, it'll be an amazing time. So for these college graduates, what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for them. Before I do, I do want to um, acknowledge Jack Tootin, who has served tirelessly in many ways around this church, but one of those is right here as a part of this worship team, several, uh, just week in and week out. He is constantly giving of his time, his energy, his talents, and so, Jack, thank you for that. Um, all of you seniors will be missed, um, so we just want to, I just want to ask you guys to extend your hand toward the seniors in this room, and we're going to pray for them. Lord, we pray, and we just thank you for the accomplishment that you have given them the strength the energy, the wisdom, and, and just the overall ability to accomplish, and that is graduating from college. It's not an easy thing. And so thank you for that, Lord. And I pray most of all that these men and women will go out into the world, and they would be wholehearted followers of you, Lord. And that they would be like David, who you said about him in Acts 13, 22, that he was a man after your own heart, to do whatever you ask him to do. I pray that that would be true of these men and women. They would do everything you ask them to do no matter what, and that every aspect of their lives would be done in a way that makes the impact for eternity, Lord. And so we just pray that your blessing upon them, would they continue to grow both in favor with you, but also in favor with mankind. And I just pray, Lord, that they would be people who usher in revival wherever they go and be agents of change for your kingdom and for your glory. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. We're proud of y'all. Super proud of y'all. Um, so we're going to continue our series today of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The title of the sermon today is going to be Testing to Distinguish Between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Antichrist. 
And I just want to say up front, I mentioned this in the earlier service, I mentioned this to the guys who went, to, we had our nobleman commissioning ceremony, kind of, we, kind of a, a graduation yesterday, and I just was telling them, it has been a, a rough, rough week for me in a lot of ways. And I've heard from some brothers and sisters in the Living Hope body and beyond that it's also been a, a rough week for them. And I just felt the Lord saying to me, you know, I think there's some people who might be coming in here a little beat up today. And it's my hope and prayer, and that includes me, by the way. The enemy was just throwing his fiery darts at me. And, um, and then the Lord reminded me of truth. And my prayer today is that as we are reminded of the truths of God's word, that it will wash over you, and you will walk out of here walking in freedom. And Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Jesus said, come follow me. He said, and he, and he said this, he said, my yoke, at the end he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, is what he finishes off that whole passage by saying. And so I, my prayer is that you'll walk out with an easy yoke and a light burden today. And to that end, let me pray. Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you, we continue to welcome you here. Would you wash over this place? Would you wash over us? And in the, the words of a song I really love, I, I just say that I just ask you to rain on us. Would you shower down over us? Would you send your spirit down right now, Lord? Continue, Lord, to work in us. And I just pray what David prayed in Psalm 139, where he said, search me and know me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, Lord. We invite you to do that, Lord. Do heart surgery on us here today. And I pray that today we would feel like, and not just feel, we would know that we have sat at your feet together. I think uh, I was thinking of, of, of Psalm, in Psalm 27, where, said, where David said, um, uh, he said, you seek your face, Lord, your face, Lord, I will seek. And he says earlier in the passage, Psalm 27, 4, he says, one thing I ask of you, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and seek him in his temple. And I pray, Lord, that we would know that we've done that here today together. So we give this to you and ask, Lord, that your truth would wash over us and it would bring healing power. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So uh, what, will you stand with me? And we will read through 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And it says this. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And are there many? Are there ever many? They're everywhere. It's everywhere. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Praise God. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You may be seated. So I just kind of want to introduce what we're talking about today to, uh, by talking about how people distinguish between real money and counterfeit money. Now, whether this is bankers or whatever, federal agents or whatever the case may be, 
They do not figure out what's counterfeit by looking at what's fake. On the contrary, they figure out what's, con they figure out what's counterfeit by looking at what is real and knowing it like the back of their hand. And they use some very specific techniques to figure this out. And there was a pastor at a church in Canada. His name is Tim Challies. He pastors a church called Grace Fellowship in Toronto. And he wanted to see if this was really true. So he went to the Bank of Canada, and he arranged a meeting with one of the higher-ups there. And they met, and, and he asked her. He said, hey, is this really true? Is this how it's done? And she confirmed that it is. And the way that they do it is they touch the money, they tilt the money, they look at the money, and they look through the money. Why is that important? The bottom line is they are very intimately acquainted with the money. And we're going to talk about how important it is to be very intimately acquainted with the word and with Jesus. They then gave him a stack of bills at the end of the meeting, and they said, here we go, we're going to test you to see if you can determine what's counterfeit and what's real. And here's what he said at the end of it. Here was his conclusion. He said, I soon learned that identifying counterfeit currency is not a terribly difficult task. It's, in other words, it's not rocket science. When a person knows what to look for, when he's been trained to examine the bill for particular identifying characteristics, identifying genuine from fraudulent can be done with great accuracy. Even on the basis of, and, and listen to this because this is important, even on the basis of only a little bit of training. You don't have to be an expert. A little bit of training helps you know between, be able to distinguish between what's real and what's fraudulent. And then he goes on to say, I successfully identified each piece of counterfeit money after just a few hours. A few hours. So I share this story with you because this morning we are going to discuss what's at the heart of 1 John 4, 1 through 6, which is distinguishing between the spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist. Now you might ask, why is this important? Well, for several reasons. But let me mention one, and it's this. I even personally, and I'm guessing I'm not alone in this room, have dear friends that I see that are walking away from the faith because the spirit of the Antichrist is roaming around this world, pitching things out and from all sorts of sources that are in the world, and, and, and they're getting deterred because they are not grounded enough in the truths of the word. And so it is so important to be able to know what is real and what's fake because there's so much at stake. Now listen, if you get fake money, it really stinks. If you're a business owner and you get fake money and you realize this money's fake, you have given something away for free. That is horrible, first off. But then second off, when you go, or second off, when you go to take that money to the bank or spend it, they're going to say, sorry, this, bank, this money is fake. It means nothing. What you got here means nothing. It's worth nothing. And man, if it's that important and critical when it comes to spending money, how much more important and critical is it to know that we are believing the real thing spiritually? I would argue that it is of utmost importance, the most important thing, to know that we are following the true and real God and we are buying into what is true. I believe John in 1 John is trying to make it crystal clear. Listen, the things that, that are talked about in the book of 1 John, they're not difficult concepts. He's trying to make it very clear what's true and what's false. And remember, the title of our entire series is True Christianity, The Real Deal. We want Living Hope to be full of people who know the word, who know the truths of Jesus, so that you could go out into the world and accurately determine what is true and what is not true. 
And hence, the reason why we have been digging into this series. True Christianity, the real deal. So today, we'll discuss three things. Number one, we're going to identify the two spirits mentioned in this passage. We're going to identify those two spirits. Two, we're going to talk about how to test the spirits and know which one you're dealing with at any given time. And three, we're going to talk about four important truths, four vital truths about believers, and three, about non-believers. It's true that non-believers are non-believers, but a term that I really love to describe those who don't yet believe is exactly that, those who don't yet believe, because I believe there's hope in that. And my hope is that even today, as we take this message and let it dwell in us and then we go share it, that we will be people who will help people realize the truth and that people will be set free and that they will believe. Because I love that God, it says in, in the word, that God is not slow in keeping with his promises. It says, no, he's patient, wanting all to come to repentance. God is not a God who wants to just throw people in hell. That is not our God. Our God is a loving God who is patient, and he wants people to come to believe. And so we'll talk about four important truths about believers and three about those who don't yet believe, and Lord willing, they will soon. All right, so the first, the two different spirits. The first one is mentioned in verse 2, and it's the Spirit of God, right? It says this. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. What's true about this Spirit? Well, first, it says it right there in verse 2. It goes on and says, Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, here's the thing. Every spirit of God will know that they are truly a spirit of God because they acknowledge everything that's true about God, Jesus. Everything that's true about Jesus. Of those is the fact that he is both God, he's both fully divine, but he was also fully human. And there's a reason why they take the time, John takes the time here, to talk about the importance of Jesus being in the flesh. There's a reason why he does that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. What's the second thing that we know to be true about the Spirit of God? The second thing is the, the apostles operated under the power of the Spirit. He mentions it in verse 6. Which says, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So, we are from God, whoever knows God listens to us, they were operating under the Spirit of God. How else do we know this? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So when the apostles wrote this, they were writing it under the influence of the Spirit of God, and everything coming from God was true. Another reference is 2 Peter 1, 21, 21, chapter 1, verse 21, that says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, and the third is this. The Spirit of God is 100% full of the inerrant truth of God. Did you know that Jesus says the phrase, I tell you the truth, 72 times in the Gospels? And you may have heard that when Jesus repeats something or the writers of the, the, the scripture repeat something over and over again, they want to get our attention. I think 72 times would qualify as repeating it. So he wanted us to know that he's telling the truth. So here are a few examples. You ready? Buckle your seatbelts because I wanted to give you a lot of them. Every time I go like this, say truth, okay? You ready? John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Yes. John 8, 32 says this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free right psalm 119 160 says the sum of your word is truth 
and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Psalm 25.5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to show yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 1 John 5.20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is truth. Now, technically the word there is true, but true, true, you know. So that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. He is the true God and eternal life. Are we getting the point? It's the truth. All right, John, Jack wants more. Okay, so a couple more. I saw him shaking his head. No, here's a couple more. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, right? John 1, 14, and this is one that I think directly relates to this passage, and I love it. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Listen, I hate snakes. I hate them. And, and, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, that's a rat snake. That's a good one. I don't care. I'm like, just kill the thing. I want them all gone. And it's no surprise to me that the enemy showed up in the form of a snake. It's like, of course it would be a snake because snakes are nasty. You know, they slither around and, and you just see them like, you know, and their tongues are like, you know what I mean? Like they stick their tongues out, they flutter. And so Satan appears to Adam and Eve in the garden like this, you know. And he's like, and, and here's what he says. He says, did, he goes, did God really say, you know? Now, mind you, he probably was kind of like nudging up to him, kind of friendly, you know. Did God really say that you must not eat from the tree? Did God really say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Did God really say that you can't be both a drunkard and a follower of Jesus at the same time? Did God really say that you can't serve two masters? Did God really say that you can't love both God and money? Does God really say, does he really say, does he really say? And let me, let me just encourage us all, and especially those of you younger ones that are in classrooms every day, and listen, there are a lot of believers in classrooms, thank God, that are preaching the truth. So not every inst- educational institution is operating under the spirit of the Antichrist, okay? I just want to say that up front. But there are a lot of classrooms these days where the people in those classrooms, the leaders of those classrooms are sp- preaching, preaching, almost literally, in the spirit of the Antichrist. And when they do, and they say, did God really say? I want you to say, yes, he did. And I want you to know exactly where he said it. And I want you to take them to this word right here and say, yeah, he did say the truth. And here's where it is. And I'm going to stand on it. The spirit of the Antichrist, the enemy, they're attacking us always. And we need to stand firmly on the truth of God. All right, the second spirit, the spirit of the Antichrist. What's true of this spirit? Well, verse 3 says, it's any spirit that does not confess Jesus. Now listen, again, it's every fact about Jesus. But this passage is emphasizing the importance of Jesus being fully man. Okay? But remember, Jesus was both fully God and fully man. But any spirit that does not confess Jesus, we're going to get into what I was just talking about in just a minute here. Number two, the false prophets operated under the power of this spirit. It says it in verse 1 of 1 John 4. Dear friends, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets are operating under the spirit of the Antichrist. And I just want to say this. Listen, there is one Antichrist that is coming. Pastor Holt preached a very good message several weeks back about the spirit of the Antichrist. And he talked about the fact that, yes, there is one Antichrist that will be coming, but there, the reality is the spirit of the Antichrist is everywhere. It's everywhere, and it can be in people, it can be in organizations, it can be in institutions, it can be in our government. But may we pray, by the way, that the Spirit of God infiltrates every one of those places. And don't be mistaken, he is the author of science. He is the author of life. He is the author of what is true and what is false. And may that be preached, literally, in, in every area of our government, but I just want, or of our world. I just want to say... I just want to say, though, that I'm not throwing all of science and all of government or all of anything under the bus, all right? I'm not saying they're all from the Antichrist, but anybody that is preaching falsehood is preaching from the spirit of the Antichrist. Okay, so a few scriptures that make this clear are, are this, and, and actually, I want to say first that the third is this, it is a spirit of error or falsehood in verse 6, finishes by saying, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So the third thing that's true about the spirit of the Antichrist is it's the spirit of error or falsehood. What are a few scriptures that make this clear? Well, 2 Corinthians 11.3 is one. It says this, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from, the, and listen to this phrase, the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. There's such a simplicity to Jesus, really. When you really look at it and look at how logical it is and look at how much sense it makes, it's really very simple. And just this pure devotion to Christ. But the, the enemy and the spirit of the Antichrist wants to come in there and make it complicated and confuse you. And these people want to do hermeneutical gymnastics to, to convince you that, that things like sexual sin is okay. You can live fully without being convicted at all in the midst of sexual sin and call yourself a believer. That's not true. That's not true. And that's just one example, by the way. I could list many. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. The spirit of the Antichrist, the devil himself, they deceive the whole world. And the last one that I love, maybe most, is John, uh, talking about John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Listen, the enemy is always wanting to steal, kill, and destroy from us. That's all he wants to do. He's never out for your good. Never. And the spirit of the Antichrist is constantly weaving in falsehoods all over the place so that the enemy can steal, kill, and destroy from us. All right. I want to say one last thing before we move on to point number two, and it's this. There are only two spirits, and there are only two kingdoms. We're either in the spirit of God or we're in the spirit of, dar or spirit of darkness, or the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of darkness. There's only two. So it's not like there's a, a Muslim spirit, or a, or a Mormon spirit that's like different, not really the Antichrist, but different, or, or an atheist spirit, or a devil-worshipping spirit. No, you're either under the spirit of God, and in the kingdom of God, or you're under the spirit of darkness, in the kingdom of darkness. So there's only two. All right, so the second point is this today. Now that we know the two types, we look at verse 1 again in 1 John 4, which says this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
Test the Spirit. So we are told that we must test the spirits, and this begs the question, how do we do that? Well, one way is explicitly mentioned right here in verses 2 and 3, right? And it says this, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So, if a spirit confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, he's from God. If not, he's not from God. So, you need to pay very close attention to what a spirit or what a person who is under the influence of a spirit says about Jesus. You need to pay very close attention. Okay, now, why this emphasis about the flesh? Well, when this was written in that day, the Gnostic movement was gaining a lot of traction, including in the church. There were Gnostic Christians. And these, Gnostic, these, these, these folks who were Gnostic Gnostics thought that they had some secret knowledge that other people did not have. And therefore, of course, they were more enlightened, and you need to follow them because they were the source of all truth, right? The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, and so gnosis comes, from that comes Gnostics, all right? Now, one of the secret pieces of knowledge that they had was that all material things are evil. And by the way, I'm skipping over a lot of historical detail, um, but I'm just going to try to get straight to the point. If you want to look into this, I'd encourage you to research it. But one of the things that they taught was that every material thing was evil, including the human body, the human body. But here was the problem. They did not debate at all that Jesus was fully divine. They didn't debate that. But the problem was if Jesus came in the flesh, all of a sudden now he's evil if he has a body. And so they couldn't preach that because they needed to hold that he was still fully divine. And so in order to do this, two of the things they taught was, well, we got this secret knowledge that Jesus one time was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and when he walked, he left no footprint, nothing. Therefore, he must have no body, right? Another thing they taught was, well, yeah, we saw Jesus eat. He put food in his mouth, but we never saw him swallow it and, and actually go down into his stomach. Therefore, he didn't need food to fuel a body, and therefore he had no body. So, this body was just an, an illusion. It was just an illusion. The reason that this is a problem is two reasons. One, first of all, it's false. Anything that's false, I don't know about you, but I don't want to buy it. I don't want to follow it, so it's false. But the second reason, and this is very important, is because the Bible makes it clear that Jesus had to be both fully God and fully human for us to be saved. Why, might you ask? Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 9, and we're going to read 9 through 10, and then 14 through 18. And it says this, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. He actually died. He didn't have some, you know, illusion of a body and didn't have to go through death. No, he was a real physical body that had to suffer death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. All right, skipping to verse, oh, and then in 10, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Then, in verse 14 through 18, it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death 
he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And then listen to this. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, including having a physical body, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, one of the reasons why it's important for him to have come fully in the flesh is because he need, we needed to be able to identify with him. He did it so that we could relate to him. Another place in Hebrews it says, He was tempted in every way that we were, yet was without sin. Therefore, we can approach his throne of grace, asking for mercy and help in our time of need. So one of the reasons was that we could identify with him, we could relate to him, and he could relate to us. But the second reason, in my opinion, is of utmost importance because it fulfills the gospel. And if the gospel were not fulfilled in any way, it would not be true. And so the second reason is of utmost importance, and it's this. The forgiveness of sin required the shedding of human blood. It had to be human blood. You see, since, it was, since sin was brought into the world by a man, namely Adam, it had to be removed by a man, namely Jesus. Romans 5, 17 through 19 points this out. It says, as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, salvation was offered to the world through one man, Jesus. And what did that man have to do to remove sin? He had to die, and more specifically, he had to shed his blood. Hebrews 9, 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Just as Adam and Eve needed a living sacrifice to cover them, we need a living sacrifice to cover us. How do we know we need a living sacrifice? Because Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, by the way, says, and this drives it home really well, for the wages of sin is death. That's a physical and spiritual death. Someone had to die. And if it wasn't for Jesus, it would have been us. But he, thank God, solved the problem of eternal death. But the Bible makes it clear that no animal sacrifice could ever get this done. And this passage in Hebrews 10, if you'll flip there, really drives it home. Hebrews 10. Verses 1 through 10. And it says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. This is Hebrews 10, verse 1, continuing on. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The, in other words, the sacrifices could only help temporarily. They were not a permanent solution. All right? If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? This is, this is in verse 2. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is in verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. A body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Going on in verse 8. First he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first. That's the old covenant that required all these sacrifices. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. The body was critically important. If he did not come in the flesh, 
the gospel would be incomplete and we would be in trouble. He had to be both fully God and fully human. Now, why is, this, why is all of this important? Because make no mistake about it, the Gnostics were a cult who were trying to draw people away from God. And two surefire ways you can know that you're buying into cultish teachings, two surefire ways are one, they diminish God, they diminish God, and two, they will pull you away from God and you will feel more distant in your relationship with him. Two surefire ways to know that you're buying into lies is they diminish Christ, they, they diminish Jesus in particular. If I said God, it's, it's, it's really more specifically Jesus. And, you, and they distance you in your relationship, relationship with God. If those two things are happening, you're buying into the wrong thing. All right, now, before we talk about the other ways to test and see what a spirit is really about, whether it's a spirit of the Antichrist or a spirit of God, well, I'm going to play a little game with you guys, okay? So, Caitlin, if you could go to the next slide. This here, I would have had no idea what this is unless I looked at this slide. This is a Chanel flat bag, okay? Now, I want to ask you guys, put you to the test. Which one is fake? Which one is real? How many people think the black one is fake? Or real? Real. Let's we'll go with this. How many people think the black one is real? Real. Okay, okay. I see a few hands. How many people think the red one is real? All right, awesome. Kaylin, next, next slide. Look at you guys, man. You guys must be fashion experts. Fashion experts. Okay, let's try another one. Let's go to the next, uh, next one. Okay, Rolex watches. Now, I know what this is. I wanted one of these, but I think it's largely out of my grasp. And, you know, I'm trying to not buy into the things of the world. I only want to serve one master. So, But these Rolex watches, which one is fake? Who, who thinks that the one on the left is real? All right, all right. We've got about 10, 10, 12 hands. How many think the one on the right is real? All right. Caitlin? One on the right is real. One on the right is real. I got to say, I'm, I'm overall very impressed. In both services, people like pretty much nailed this. But let me ask you, how did you know which one was real? Anybody? How'd you know? Quality. It looks better. Okay. Looks better. What else? Detail. 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 In other words, what you're saying kind of is you knew what to look for, right? You knew what to look for. My question for you all today is, do you know what to look for? Based on this, do you know what to look for? I want to share with you guys an illustration, but before I do, I want to read in verse 1 through 6, the second way that you can distinguish between these spirits is to deeply know the truths of Scripture and ask yourself, is what the Spirit's saying align, align with the truths of Scripture? Verse 1 through 6 in 1 John 4 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then 6 says this, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Who's we? It's the apostles, the apostles who wrote the scripture. So they believe the scripture, right? But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. We must know this deeply. Now, for an illustration, I need a volunteer, somebody, anybody, don't be shy. All right, my man, come on up. I want to share with you guys an illustration of how you can become acquainted with the word of God. And if I were sitting down with my man, what's your name? Aiden. Aiden, Aiden that's right, man. Recognize the face, couldn't pull up a name. Thanks for reminding me. Aiden. Aiden and I are, let's say we're just, uh, I'm discipling Aiden. We're in a discipleship relationship. And I say, hey, Aiden, I want to give you a little tool to help you learn how you can uh, take in the word of God 
and be able to uh, rightly handle it and distinguish truth from lies, okay? So the illustration is by using a hand, okay? The first finger we'll talk about is your pinky finger, okay? And it's hearing the word, hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the first thing you want to do is hear the word of God. Now, if all I do is hear and I just try to hold this and the enemy comes and tries to take it from me, now, you're not, Aiden's not the enemy, okay? But just for illustration's sake, the enemy comes and tries to take the word, try to take it from me. He can easily take the word from me, okay? All right, so reading is, or hearing is great, but it's not uh, enough. We also want to read the word of God. Deuteronomy 17.9 says he is to read the word all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord. So reading the word is very important. So now I'm hearing, now I'm reading. And the enemy comes and tries to take the word from me, and he successfully does it, right? So I was like, okay, so we got to get more solid. How do we do that? Well, we study the word of God. And this is Acts 17, 11 that said the Bereans were of no more, more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they listened to Paul, and they went back every day to check against the word what Paul was, whether or not what Paul was saying was true. So they hear, they read, they study. Now I've got three finger, fingers on this bad boy. The enemy comes to try to take it. And he's still able to, but it's getting a little harder, getting a little harder, right? So the fourth is this. So we got here, we got read, we got study, we now have memorize, memorize the word of God. Now, the, uh, uh, the reference on there is Colossians 3.16. That's a good one, but I like Psalm 119, 9 and 11, which says, How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So now I'm hearing, I'm reading, I am memorizing, and I am uh, studying, right? So I've got these four things going. Now, the enemy comes and tries to take it from me. It's getting harder, but he can still do it, all right? So the last two, then, is memorize and meditate. All right, sorry, uh, yeah, and meditate, apply. Meditate and apply. So with meditation, I don't not just take the word and memorize it. I don't do memorize to check off a list. I put it deep in my heart, and I meditate on this. I love Psalm 1, 2, and 3 that says he's like a tree planted by streams of water. He meditates on the word day and night, and whatever he does prospers, right? So we're hearing, we're reading, we're studying, we're memorizing, and now we're meditating, and the enemy comes and tries to take it ah, a little bit harder, right? So now i got a firm grasp on it. Thanks, Aiden. Appreciate it, man. The last one, man. Yeah, give him a round of applause. And I just want to say, any of you that know me, I am passionate about evangelism and discipleship. I encourage you to share that with somebody that you're meeting with, to internalize the word. The last is apply, Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouths. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So you apply the word of God. That is how you can have a deep knowledge of the word so that when lies fly at you, you won't buy them and you will stick to what is true. Now, what are the last two? What are the last two? The last two are this. Ask trusted believers, and I mean trusted believers. It has to be someone that you know knows the word, that dwells with God deeply, that really can help you distinguish truth from lies. Ask them, is what this spirit's saying, is it true or is it false? Will you help me figure it out? But they have to be a trusted believer. They just can't, can't be just anybody, okay? And the third is this. Does, does this, what this spirit's saying remain true over time. Sometimes what like cults are saying sounds good for a while, but the deeper you get in, you realize there's a lot of lies here. Okay, so I want to finish quickly with the last point, which is this. Four important vital truths about believers and three about those who don't yet know Jesus. And these are, and why are these important? 
for several reasons, but one is these are identity statements that are coming from verse 4 through 5. And what is the first thing we see in verse 4 that's true if you are a believer is you are a child of God, praise God. You are a child of God. Isn't that amazing? Especially for those of you all that have had bad fathers and you think about, man, I don't know what I really think about my father, but realize this, God is the perfect, loving, sacrificial father who, who will never disappoint you. And that is true, if you are a believer, that is true of your very identity. You are a child of God. The second is this, you have overcome the spirits. You are an overcomer. Romans 8, you are an overcomer and you have victory. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have overcome. Romans 8, 31 through 39, talk about this idea. The Holy Spirit of God, this is number three. And worship team, by the way, you could come up as I'm, as I'm closing this up here. But Romans 8, 9 through 11, talk about how this Holy Spirit of God lives in you. That's the third thing that's true about you if you're a believer. You are a house, you are a temple of a Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? Do you, do you think you have some value and some worth if, you're, if, you are the, if the Holy Spirit of God is taking up residence in you? I think you do. I think you definitely do. And last, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And Pastor Holt's entire sermon next week will be on that verse, 1 John 4, 4. It's going to be awesome. He says he is so pumped. So come, I think it's going to be fantastic. Now, sad, I say with sadness and compassion in my heart that these are three things that are true of those who don't yet know Jesus. Don't yet know Jesus. And one is, if you don't know Jesus and he is not the savior of your life and he is not your Lord, then you are not a child of God. Verse 5 says, rather you are of the world and therefore living according to the spirit of the Antichrist. How do I know that? Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It talks about what we were when we were in the world for verses 1 through 3. Then it transitions to what you can become if you accept Jesus, and it's amazing. The second is this. You will often, if not always, speak from the viewpoint of the world and therefore the spirit of the Antichrist. And then last, you will often, if not always, listen to the world and therefore the spirit of the Antichrist. Now listen, I'm not saying that if someone's not a believer, they are the Antichrist. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you only, believe, you only belong to one of two kingdoms, and you're either in the kingdom of God, or you're in the kingdom of darkness, and ultimately the kingdom of, the, of Satan and the Antichrist. And so, but listen, here's what's so awesome. The spirit of God comes and sets us free. Sets us free. I love the movie The, the Help, if you guys have seen it. The woman in there who was clearly, uh, at bare minimum, doing a great job of acting like she was under the spirit of the Antichrist, very racist, very hateful, very mean. Her, the, the one who was her, her nanny or her help comes at the end of the movie when everything has fallen apart for this woman who is so evil. And she says, aren't you tired? And even, even for me this week, you know, being a believer in Jesus, the enemy was just throwing fiery arrows at me, and I, I, I was tired. I am tired. And thank God, though, he reminded me of truth on Friday and just washed over me and was so refreshing. And it's my prayer today that if you don't know Jesus, that he will remind you, that he will make his truth clear to you and that you will enter into relationship with Jesus and that you will find rest for your soul. And that if we're believers here today and we've gone through, you, maybe you've gone through a week or a month or whatever that has been similar to the season that I've been in the, over this past week and you feel like the enemy's just had a heyday with you, may the truths that we've talked about today wash over you and give you peace.
So as I pray, I'll invite the worship team to come up and the, and the pr- prayer team to come up as well. And um, uh, yeah, if, if you don't know Jesus, I would just encourage you to enter into relationship with him today. And if you do and you just want to be refreshed and renewed by having truth wash over you, I'd encourage you to come up and pray. But Lord, we give this time to you. Pray that we would the, tr- the truth that we've spoken out about today would set us free. And Lord, I pray that we would be agents of the truth. Lord, I pray that we would know the truth. And I pray that we would preach it to the watching world. And I pray that more and more people would come to know Jesus because of how deeply we know you and how passionate we are about the truth and how much we want those who don't know Jesus to come to know you and out of love and compassion for them. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that, we would, that you would protect us and we would not fall victim to the Antichrist, spirit of the Antichrist, Lord, but that we would distinguish truth from lies and walk in your truth from this point forward, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.